pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, this Father's Day. We have come here to worship you. Thank you for all of the days that you give us. We love you and we thank you for your precious Son, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit sent here to guide and help us. We thank you that our names are written in the book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. I was... uh, I was on a, a meeting, a, I don't even know what you call them these days, a, I used to say conference call, but now you can see everybody on the screen, <laughs> a Zoom meeting, so yeah, it's, a, it's called a Zoom meeting, and uh, sort of, yeah, FaceTime and like with, uh, there's about 40, I guess, 44 ministers on there this week, and uh, I was blessed to be a part of it, Um, but they just wanted to get together and discuss, you know, (laughs) everything, from COVID to the the racial issues and things like that going on, and and so I was, I just really wanted to listen, I didn't want to say much because... These are some people I admire greatly, and I, I know what I have to say, and I, I really doubt I could add to them, but who knows. But it was a, it was a great call. <clears throat> we were on there for about an hour, I guess. Um, but Andrew Womack is, is a wonderful man. I don't know if y'all are familiar with him, but I, I talk about him sometimes. We connected. I'm, I'm the regional advocate for his uh, minister's association with, for this half of Texas, this bottom half of Texas, and for some other states and areas where they're lacking in help, Alaska and so forth. But he he was on there, and Greg Moore was on there. Uh, James Brown, he goes by JB on the football broadcaster, you know. Uh, some of the Kenneth Copeland uh, grandkids, uh, Anyway, we had a we had a great call, and um, but Andrew was just pointing out, you know, just I think I shared with y'all last week that I just didn't feel, you know, I, the Lord told me just keep on ministering, just just like I had been, it, and, and there was just no sense of urgency on his behalf, you know. And I, I sort of gleaned that from Andrew is the first thing he talked about uh, when we opened up in in uh, in this call in this meeting was that when God created everything in the earth um, he, he did it all before he put man in it you know he spent he spent several days creating everything and, 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 and after itself it produces seed to reproduce more of its kind you know and so he before he ever put man into the garden, he, he, had, he had anticipated all of our needs. Not only that, but he had already seen uh, what was to come. He created time. He's not stuck in it, you know. We don't want a God that, that is. But he, he anticipated all of our sins, all of our shortcomings. All of the wars, all of the pollution, everything. 
And he put everything here for us. Most important thing he put in this world is people. Most important thing in this world is a soul. And, uh, but you know, it's not, uh, not pollution that's going to get us and it's not, it's not uh, global warming and all that. God's going to end this place when he's ready. And uh, Jesus is going to set up his kingdom here and, and we're going to reign with him here for a thousand years and then we're going to go on elsewhere. Amen. Amen. But we've already got everything we need. We just need to believe that. Don't get fearful and don't don't quit. He used the example. Of, he said, "If you had a, it, it's, it's really just our belief and unbelief, you know, in the word. You know, we can either believe, agree with the world, or we can agree with the word. But they're going to be at odds with one another. We need to have a biblical worldview instead of a." A globalistic uh, worldview, you see. He said he he used the example if you if 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 you if you thought there was a million dollars in buried in your backyard, and you only had a spoon to dig with, would you quit digging? You know, not if you really knew it was there. And that's the same thing with everything that God has provided for us. We need to know that we know that we know. And that will help us to be steadfast, you know. And uh, Greg Moore, who's a great minister as well, was on there. And he reminded us of 1 Corinthians one uh, thirty, And that just tells us that we need wisdom to speak to people, you know. And we need to draw on that wisdom. And uh, it talks about that in James as well. If anyone be lacking in wisdom, just ask God and he'll give it to you freely. Um, But he's already provided that too. You know, we just need to believe it and and go to God knowing that he's going to provide it when we ask him. And uh, it's sort of like writing a, a check. You know, if you know the money's in the account, you don't really have to worry about it. But... You know, too many of us go to God like somebody uh, going to a loan officer without any collateral, you know. Like beggars instead of believers. Like somebody knowing that, hey, you're on dad's account and he owns the bank and a thousand more like it, you know. And you're the trust fund baby. You know, that's how we need to approach God. But people are hurting, and people are confused, and we need to remember that, and to remember that sometimes we don't have authority to speak into people's lives. So I know a lot of Christians like to go around, and uh, I always tell people, you know, Jesus is supposed to be shared, not shoved. <laughs> And we need to be sure that we have an open door. And we need to really be listening to God for that. Uh, Otherwise, you can do more harm than good sometimes. And we need to make sure that we have authority to speak into people's lives. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But we sort of need to be invited into that area of their lives or into that person's life. Just like today, I mean, you folks have come here. I'm a pastor. I have been given some authority to speak into your lives from the word of God you've given me that you see so I'm doing this because I've basically been invited to do so 
You see, and God has assigned me this joy to whoever He sends or whoever comes. Amen. And uh, you have similar things. The work of the ministry is for Christians, really. We uh, ministers are supposed to prepare the church, the Christians, uh, for the work of the ministry, which is out there. And sometimes you might just be a, a walking Bible. You know, you do your life is the only Bible they may ever read. And uh, so that's important. And it's also good to know the word. Uh, Lamar Rich was, uh, he's, a, he's a black minister that was on there as well. Uh, and with, with some others, including James Brown. JB's not a pastor, but he, he has a ministry. I don't know if y'all know that about Tony Dungy too. He's often in our meetings. Uh, uh, the, the coach, but uh, they, they are great men of God, and, and James Brown considered his ministry as one as uh, in the Old Testament it talks about the men that held up the arms of Moses when he got tired because God said, as long as you hold your hands up, you know we're going to win the battle. And then he would get tired, and they start drooping. And well, there were two men that came and they held his arms up all afternoon. And uh, James Brown, he thinks of himself that way uh, to undergird ministers and to encourage and support us in our in our work. Uh, Jeremy and Sarah Pearson was the Jeremy is is Kenneth Copeland's grandson, and Sarah's his wife. They have a church in Colorado Springs now, but they also do a lot of work ministry all around the world now jeremy and sarah are really awesome and uh and uh jeremy was just reminding us you know that uh you know because you hear a lot of people saying oh these times are crazy you know it's never been like this before oh no you know and they get upset and and he (coughs) excuse me he reminds us that uh god 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 knew that when we were born we were born for such a time as this so, again, there's nothing he hasn't provided or already foreseen. So we could, should consider it an honor and an exciting times in which to live. The church has always thrived in times of greatest persecution. So look forward to revival because I really believe that it's coming. There's been times in this nation when Christianity was almost gone. All the universities were godless and just about like they are now. <laughs> Not all of them, but mostly. But uh, there was a revival that broke out near Princeton University. And there's from some kids that went there. And uh, this is a long, long time ago. But I, I really believe that revival is coming. <coughs> but our response is what's called for... Uh, a positive response, a positive response regarding God and, and regarding all the things that, that the world is going through. Because our response is what matters. We're the ones that have the authority to speak life into these situations. Greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world, is what the scripture says. And if you have Christ, well then... Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So you should say with confidence that greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. Amen. But you remember I was sharing a couple of examples 
with you last week of the, some of the challenges even within the church and amongst the ministers that we're facing and the different things. And I, I attribute some that don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm not just out for people to see things the way I do or I hate them, you know. That, that's You see a lot of that. But I at least want them, if they call themselves a Christian, to be reasonable uh, in agreement with this. And not to take these scriptures and use them for your own agenda or benefit when they really don't line up with the entire book, you see. And the new covenant of grace and truth. <clears throat> so people, a lot of times... Remember I said sometimes you don't have the authority to speak into people's lives. Sometimes people ask you to speak and you shouldn't. What do I mean by that? Um, Use the example of a pressure cooker. These Instapots we have now, right? It's designed to make something happen quickly by applying pressure, right? And that's a a lot of what people's questions uh, to us are. You see that with the fake news media as they gather around the president every chance they get. Usually on the way to his helicopter. You know. But a lot of those, you can tell a lot of those questions you can hear in the in their voices, first of all, the disrespect. And the motivation is not a pure one. It's designed to solicit a response from him that they can use against him. And sometimes that happens to us. It happened to Jesus. In John chapter 8, you remember the story of the woman that was brought to him by the, the religious hypocrites, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day had brought this woman to Jesus and thrown her, I guess, probably on the ground in front of him and said she was caught in the very act of adultery. Well, it was illegal for both parties, and they didn't bring the other one, you see. <clears throat> but, anyway, they said, what's, you know, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? They said this so they could get him in a trap. They were doing this all the time. They wanted him in front of people publicly to condemn the law of Moses, and then they would be able to get rid of him right away. They'd stone him along with her, probably. But you know what it said? It said Jesus just looked down at the ground as if he didn't hear them. He probably never saw those few words in there. You know the part about he, he just he's down the ground, he started writing in the in the dirt with his finger. And some Ministers like to joke and say, you know, he, that finger was used to write those commandments on that stone the first time. And he was probably writing them on there to remind them of their sins. Because remember, he asked them, <coughs> after a time, he did say, he, wh- who, whichever one amongst you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And they all began to, to walk away ashamed, basically, from the oldest to the youngest. Why the oldest? Because we, we know... The older you get, the more you know you ain't perfect and you have made some mistakes in this life. And the young ones are still kind of uppity and cocky and think they're pretty special sometimes. And anyway, that's the order it went in. But they all left, didn't they? But the 
point I was making today is that it says in the Bible that he just looked down and wrote it on the ground as if he didn't hear them. Now, I want you to see this in perspective that Jesus, when he was here, although he stepped down from his throne and came here for us, he set aside all of his kingly, godly privileges to become just like us. It had to be so. We needed a kinsman redeemer. We needed someone like us to undo what they had done in the garden. And none of us had been able to do it. So he said, I'll go do it, Dad. Nevertheless, he was born just like us. He didn't have special powers. I hear people say, oh, can you imagine growing up with Jesus? Uh, uh, Jesus, will you get that off the top shelf for me? There it is. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. He had to learn everything we did. That's why it was probably easier for us to believe than it was for the disciples. You see, they struggled sometimes. Because they, I mean, they probably heard him pass wind. Let's just, let's just get, you know, he was a natural man. You know, I'm just saying, people say, oh, I wish Jesus was here with me now. Well, he is. It's probably easier for you to believe now. Because you can picture him however you like. But the point is, he didn't have special powers until he, matter of fact, he was, until he was 30 years old, and he was baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John, and then he came up and he was also baptized in, in the Holy Ghost at the same time. That's the dove that came and lit on him. So he baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and he didn't, but it wasn't, it wasn't until then that he ever performed a miracle. His first miracle, John said, was done at a wedding in Cana of Galilee where he turned water into wine. First miracle. Because he didn't have the ability to do anything like that. He was studying. He was learning who he was through the scriptures. And the help of the Holy Spirit and relationship with his father. But he said, I only do what I see and hear my father tell me to do. What I see my father do. So what was he doing when he said as if he didn't hear them? He was waiting. He didn't want to just speak out of his emotions or out of the flesh. He wanted to hear what God had to say. And because he waited on the help of the Holy Spirit to hear from his Father, it was perfect when he did speak. It, it completely dissolved the situation. You see, nobody was killed that day. Nobody got a rock thrown at him that day. And it brought, hopefully, some remorse and repentance from some of the others who were there. Don't know. But it did diffuse that situation. And that's how we should do it. So there's our permission not to say something all the time. I've had people get upset with me on Facebook because I use that basically for family pictures and photos and a funny thing now and then, but mostly ministry. God told me a long time ago, the devil's sure getting a lot of good use out of this. I wish my folks would. So, I do. I try to. But because of that, I, you know, you're going to get some pushback too. And I've had people invite me into their fights with other people. Because you get notified when someone puts your name into a response or a comment, right? So somebody will post something, somebody else will post something, and then they'll get into a battle. What's, what, what, let's see what William Brocker says about this. Because in other words, let's see what God has to say through a man of God, you know, and that's what they're saying. 
Sometimes <coughs> I have said something. Most of the time I don't. And I've had people get mad at me for, for when I don't. And they've quoted me scriptures. If, if you're ashamed of me and my words when, <laughs> you know, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father talking about Jesus, what Jesus said. I said, I'm not ashamed of him. But God didn't tell me to say anything and I don't want to say what I got to say. And that's just the truth. Sometimes I know peace is our umpire. If I don't have peace about it or if I feel like I'm just, that's my flesh wanting to respond. I'm, this is supposed to be crucified with him, you see. <laughs> so I've learned to shut my mouth somewhat. Still working on that. But he still loves me. Amen. Proverbs 15, 1 says that a soft answer turns away wrath. You see, so a lot of times it's not what we say, but how we say it, isn't it? It says a soft answer turns away wrath. And I've learned this, I've had to learn this in my life. And it's especially important for men, this is Father's Day, and happy Father's Day everyone, but... To me, every Sunday is Father's Day for our Father in Heaven. We come to celebrate that, and it should be, as we grow, not just be Sunday, but every day. <laughs> but God loves all you fathers, and, and He's with us, amen? And He wants to be main center in that as well. If He were, a lot of the problems in this nation would be fixed. I can assure you, if the family would get restored... And they would take the responsibility. Children are a gift from God. They're only given to us on loan. Uh, some people uh, baby their children up into their 40s and 50s and 60s. It's fine to love them and to be with them and to always support them. But, you know, if they're still just working out their thumbs in their basement, you know, then something's wrong. We're supposed to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Most of us have failed in that regard, and God still loves us. Not here to condemn anyone. But David, I love what David said when he was getting older in one of the Psalms. He said, I was, I was young, and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. If people stay with God and raise their family centered around God, you know, I, I meet a lot of people that say, and I can see I'm not going to get to the message today. <clears throat> yes, this is it. But I, I meet a lot of people that say, you know, I'm not going to push anything on my kid. You know, I'm going to let them wait till they're old enough to decide on their own. And all, and all that, that sounds great. If I wasn't saved, that's what I would say. If I wasn't saved, I would agree with abortion. You know, oh, why would you... This girl's already suffering enough. Don't she made a bad choice? Don't make it worse. All the things they say, I understand what they're saying. I get it. But God is a God of life, and and uh, the, the, when it says that He knitted me together in my mother's womb, and He knew me before us before the foundation of the world, and 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 when it says that when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, her aunt who was pregnant with John the Baptist, Jesus' uncle. She said when she came to the door and saw Mary, the baby in her womb leapt for joy. All right. 
Uh, now that's that tells me enough right there is to know hey my my opinion when it opposes God's I change it and if I don't feel that change I just say I, I agree with you anyway Lord now I don't feel like I agree with you yet but I agree with you and I'm gonna I'm gonna live it you help me with the rest amen But it's talking about our response to folks, and it needs to be kind, it needs to be gentle. Our gentleness or meekness should be evident to everyone, is what the Bible says. And I've had to learn this as a man, is what I was saying before, is it's much more important somehow than women. Women can get away with being a little more vociferous. But men, I found our words are powerful. We can really, you know, I've, well, I got. Three-year-old granddaughter, and boy, Papa says something. I got to be real careful because she just go to cry, you know. And it's like I didn't even say anything. The other day, she was getting FaceTimed from the hospital because they told her they were gonna uh, let her be the first one, you know, to see the, the her little brother and all that. So anyway, uh, her dad was trying to FaceTime her on her little tablet really her mama's but it's got this big rubber thing on it with a handle you can't hold you can't even break it right but she said and Nani said Tavon said to her you, your daddy's going to be calling you now so she she grabbed that thing from Tavon and she goes hold on now let me let me get it connected for you and I'm going to hand it to you and she's like no and she's yanking it from her like that right you know just something and I said now Harper I said let Nani help you she's just trying to get it set so you and she looked at me and just went to cry. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> that scripture also says that harshness escalates the problem. Tenderness turns it back. So we need to keep that in mind. And also our response is, and to the world these days does not need to be a sad one, not a depressed one, not a heavy spirit uh, to people. I remember my mama flicking that light on her every day of my life growing up. A rise and shine. Ooh. But we need to rise and shine, you know. We are the light of the world. We are the city on a hill. Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and then put it under a, a basket. No, you put it up so it can light up the room. And, and that's how it should be when a Christian comes in. Sarah Pearson, who was just Jer- Jeremy's uh, wife, was reminding us that what we magnify matters. And I preach this a lot about the seesaw. You remember how you can only keep one end of the seesaw up at a time. That's the way we're made. It's doubt and unbelief. Or faith. It's the problems of the world or the promises of God. You You can't focus on both and magnify both at once. And we need to be magnifying Jesus. We need to be magnifying Jesus for everything that He is that the world doesn't know. He is healer. He is forgiver. He is 
peacemaker. He's the lover. And they need to know the real God. That they can be happy. They can be healthy. They can be faith-filled. But we need to show that attitude to them first. For them to... This is the only place where the Bible calls jealousy a good thing. We are supposed to provoke the world to jealousy. Not of the things we have, but of who we have inside of us. They should leave that encounter saying, there is something about you that I want. You know? And that... No, not knowing how to say it maybe but it's God is what they're experiencing and they need that and they want it they're born with that God sized void in their heart in their, in their life and they, and they know when they come near to it you know what I'm saying well that was I just want to touch briefly and then I'll cut it short today and we'll pick up on this but I want to start talking about prayer because it's important now as you know I don't want to always say it's always more important now than ever every day though we can say that amen because this is the day the Lord has made this is there's only one day with God it's called today <laughs> That's what the Bible says. It's the only one that we're supposed to even really worry about. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Just go out and spend all the grace He gave you for today. And then tomorrow you'll wake up with a fresh uh, refilled account. Amen? <clears throat> but I want to talk, he says it's Father's Day, I guess we can say this about prayer, about how learning to talk to Dad, our Dad, our Father in Heaven, you know. Yeah, that one. Um, a lot of people don't think of God as he is, they think of him uh, as how he has been presented to them. Sometimes it's the church's fault, depending on where you grew up with mama and them and whatever. And that's why some people don't go to church. Because <laughs> religion is not relationship. <clears throat> it, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about any church, but I'm just saying sometimes. You're being misled and misfed. And it can produce in people a, a wrong-mindedness about God. They can think uh, God is an angry God. God is a mad God. Uh, I heard that someone describe it as God as a, like <clears throat> they were much older than me. And, and they were talking about the schoolmaster and being called into the, the principal's office or the schoolmaster's office. And it was usually a long sort of dimly lit hallway it seemed like forever walk you know and you'd get there and knock on the door and it was a grumpy voice tell you to come in you know and and usually scolding you or reprimanding you right off the bat for something you did didn't do or should have done or whatever and that's kind of the image of God with some people some people had a mean dad and when they think hear about their father in heaven they like 
had enough of that. You know? And so our image of God is a very important because a wrong impression of God and what He's really like will mess us up. <clears throat> and we need to learn how to pray and to talk to God because we are created a kingdom of kings and priests. You say, oh, that's a bunch of silly nonsense. No, this is what the Bible says. We are a kingdom of priests and kings. Now, 1 Peter 2.9, Revelation 5.10, if you want to double check me on that, okay? But the, the point about that is, what it, kings sit on thrones, they have kingdoms. Why? Because they rule. That doesn't mean we're going to be rulers of people and, and dictate over people. But we're a kingdom of priests. Priests, well, their job is to offer up sacrifices. In the Old Covenant, in the New Covenant, our sacrifices to God are prayers. So we are a kingdom of priests. We are to rule and to reign in this earth with Christ through our prayer lives. That's, how, that's where our power is and our authority so, but God is wise, and He's not going to give us a lot of authority as kings until we first learn the priesthood. That doesn't mean, I, I hope you're hearing me right. We're not all priests, and we're definitely not going to get the big scepter and, you know, go sit on throne somewhere and rule over somebody. I'm talking about the spiritual kingdom. <laughs> But if we're not, if we don't know how to pray, then we're not qualified to rule. If we're a kingdom of priests, so we have to change our image of God. He's not angry. He's a father who loves us, as the song said, and he delights in us. He loves to hear from us and to answer our prayers. He never, he doesn't get bothered or. Uh, are wearisome uh, of our prayers. We can't pray too much and him get tired of it. He might get a little tired of our complaining or our laundry list of, of things, you know, or, or continuous uh, plea for forgiveness for things he forgave us about a long time ago, you know. <laughs> but he's still not mad at you. He loves you and he looks forward to hearing from you. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Everything gone is gone from our old life. The old man is dead. But we need to reckon ourselves dead. We need to realize that, to see that, and to believe that, and to start trying to purposefully walk in the new life and the new man. And even when your old friends and family and... Uh, and the world calls you a hypocrite, and I know you, and I remember this and that. Yeah, I do too, vaguely. But that man's dead. Oh, you just did that to get out of some trouble, or, you know, you just, it's just something, it's the newest thing, you go, it'll wear off, you know. Okay, I love you. But because we're new in Christ, we need to, the first thing about prayer, we need to renounce our self will. We've talked about that at, at some length. But it's not our will, but the, Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray according to the will of God and not to the will of will. Or, 
or of ourselves. You know, sometimes we have a list of just things we want, and it's all just for our purpose. And, I mean, God wants us to be happy, and He'll give us things. It's not like that. He doesn't mind us having things. He just doesn't want them having us. If if this is God, and it's a, a bright light, anything that blocks that is a God of our own creation. It could be a person. It could be a car. It could be a job. You see what I'm saying? It could be money. It could be anything. And that's that's a good test to remember. You know, I used to spend a lot more time with God, but now, why? Why, why am I not? Oh, what's the, you know, I... I've heard a lot of ministers go look in your checkbook. You can see where your treasure is. <laughs> but prayer is not asking God to do what we want, but what He wants. And what He wants is always greater than anything that we can want. And better for us. So see, that's that's the reason a lot of people hold off in coming to God. Oh, I'm going to do that. But I, I got some things I still want to, you know, I got a little, I got some more oats to sow first, you know. And then I'm going to come to God. Remember I told you about people thinking they got to get cleaned up to take a bath? No. You know, I've had so many people tell me that. They think they're going to suffer loss if they come on and go to God. They want They got that on their list. They're going to get it done. But right now... He don't, he don't really want them right now because they still got some things in mind. You see? And it's all wrong thinking. It's a, it's a wrong-mindedness that, that causes them to stay away from God when they should be running to Him and He can help them through all of that. You know what I mean? His, uh, his plans are good. Plans, he said, I know the plans, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, give you hope in a future, not to harm you. And and we if we really believe, we would uh, do things differently. But sometimes we just think, well, if I just surrender to God's will on this, there's this one thing that I really want or really want to do, he might he might cut that off. He might nip that in the bud, you see. But if we really believe that his plans are better than ours, then we would just surrender. I call it the nest he plunge. Remember that commercial? <laughs> just, <laughs> just do it. Just go for it. The next thing we need, though, is faith. Um, when it comes to our prayer life, if, if we're not praying in faith, then we can't really expect to be entitled to have what we pray for. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So this is an unwavering requirement in our approach to God. Faith. It says that in the Old Covenant and in the New. Without faith, we cannot please God. <clears throat> so, we have to believe. We have to believe that He exists, it says. And that's not too hard for most folks. They realize there's a God. We were talking about that last week a little bit. They, and in some form, they know there's a God. And we have to, it says, those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do we really believe that he's going to reward us when we go to him? See, some people don't. 
They think they're just going to that schoolmaster and they're just trying to put off that scolding as long as they can. And it's just not the way it is. Jesus bore our sin on His body on the tree. God forgave all the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. When Jesus died, doesn't mean it's okay. We can talk about that. I have a whole week's worth of ministry I could do on that. The reasons we don't sin, but it's not to earn relationship with God. We believe on Jesus for that. We don't sin because it's just, first of all, it's not who we are anymore. It's really, if we keep sinning and after we believe on Jesus and accept Him, now we're really a hypocrite. You see? Because it's really not our true identity. Before, we were hypocrite when we tried to act godly and we were really still sinners and we didn't, we hadn't surrendered to Jesus yet. <laughs> but now, it's really who we are in our new identity in Christ is, 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 uh, we're, our, our new, new born again spirit is perfected and sealed. And so that's just like Jesus. We're trying to work out that which is already within, that salvation. It's about confidence, really. I say faith, you can look at it as having confidence. Boldness to approach the throne of grace. He says, now we we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Where only one minister once a year used to be able to go into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around his leg in case he had sin in his life and they'd have to drag him out because nobody else could go in either or they'd die. Now, Jesus made a way through the torn tent of the curtain of his body. We can work right into daddy's office, right into the schoolmaster's office. His little kid, daddy, daddy. And he's not going to say, sit your butt down, I'm on a conference call, you know. He's going to say, come on in. Come on in. But see, that's where we need to think like that. To have that that childlike mentality. You know, as men especially, or as any adult, we we have responsibilities and all that. And the Bible says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I thought like a child. But now I'm a man and I put away childish ways. So, in many ways, that's true. But when it comes to God and our faith toward God, our confidence in our relationship with Him and His goodness and His love and affection for us, we need to see Him as a God who has our picture in His wallet and who loves us and who we can run boldly. See, because theology will screw all that up for you. That's why, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, young people or parents and people I know, they'll get excited to tell me how their kid's going to seminary. And I say, cemetery? Well, I mean, seminary, why? <laughs> but God is faithful. He's reliable. He loves us. And we need to know that. That's why unbelief is a sin. Is that if, it's not, if it's not a faith, it's sin. So unbelief is the other side of that coin. It's a sin because it, it casts... Our unbelief actually casts aspersions on the character of God, doesn't it? You think about it. It presents Him as a false or unattractive uh, person to, to, to go to in time of need. You know, it's like the the like going to the mafia for a loan. You know, yeah. You don't think you're never going to get it paid off. You know, you're in now, buddy. You're on the hook. No, that's how some preachers 
to preach about the offering. You know, you notice I never preach the offering. I talk about money a lot and I feel like I can because I don't take anything from the church. But I could, you know, but I'm just glad God gives me work to do. But the point is, a lot of people preach the offering more than they preach their sermons. And and uh, I've sat, sat under ministers that said, if you don't if you don't give your tithes and offerings, God's going to take it out in doctor bills. Or the transmission going to fall out of your car. They would say things like that from the pulpit. And I, I just believed it. Because that's what they were teaching me. And I trusted them, you see. And that's a lie. Malachi 3. You can preach that. You can preach that same as the last, cha- last last book in the Bible before the New Covenant, before the Matthew. And it talks about giving. But God gives us an opportunity there. He says, this is the one area God says, test me and see with your tithes and offerings. You can, he's, In other words, you're never going to outgive me. Try me on this one. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't handle. That part's wonderful and it's true. But the rest... You know, because he talked about you robbing God because you tithes and offerings. So people will really hammer on that and make people fearful. And they, they're really teaching about the God Father instead of Father God. And I don't like that. Because it teaches people that God is mean. And if they don't walk toe the line, he's going to get them. And that makes people run from God instead of to him. Jesus has fixed all that, I'm telling you. Jesus is our answer. Matthew 21, 22, Jesus said, Everything you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now, he's assuming that as Christians, we're going to be praying according to God's will, and we've set our aside. But he says, Everything you ask in prayer, believing, you will have. And 1 John 5, 14 said, This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, then we know that we have what we've prayed for. Now that's that's comforting. And if you will focus on those truths and make them your own, you're going to find that your life will become better. You will start receiving better from God. God's God is uh, transmitter is never broken. It's always on. Our receiver gets a little off. I think I see myself as a little kid. I was the youngest, so I had to hold the rabbit ears, you know, and help get get a wad of foil and put on this one ear, you know. Stay right there, will you? Okay. You pick up twenty six or thirty nine now. Eleven and thirteen were usually pretty good, but channel two was a little fuzzy. But twenty-six and thirty-nine, I was just rolling the dice. <laughs> but it's our receivers that are off. And when you think wrong about God, your receiver is busted. You know, because when you when you do this to God, when you have condemnation, we talked about last week. He does not want that. He don't he. Can I tell you, he does not want you hanging the Ten Commandments on your wall in your living room. And I know people think that's crazy. There's nothing wrong with it. If you if you look, I, I love, I, I don't mind them. I love it because it reminds me, oh, thank you, Jesus. God is holy and perfect 
And as much as I love that law and would love to be just like my Father in heaven, I am not quite there. And the punishment for sin is death. Any sin. It, it, James said, if you try to live according to the law to make your way to heaven, he said, if you fail at just one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. Oh my Lord. What will we do? That's what it was designed to do. Make us say that. Well, we'll turn to Jesus. You better be perfect or have a Savior who is. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so how do we have true faith? How do we trust in God like a little child in this relationship? Romans ten seventeen says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to stay in the Word. And when we go to pray, we need to take this with us. And we need to say to the Lord before we begin reading, Holy Spirit, help me. Give me understanding. Give me revelation, knowledge of, of what this Word says. You, you, see, you, see, you see ministers, not like me, but maybe someone in a similar Said it, just an evangelical preacher who didn't didn't go and get all his degrees and theology and seminary and all that, and, and 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 he'll be he'll have prophetic abilities and he'll preach the wisdom of God and teach and really help people come along, and then you'll have one that's a, a doctorate in this and got so many initials after his name, and, and they get frustrated with this person just like they did with Peter and the. The religious leaders of that day, when after Jesus was gone, they would see Peter would stand up and boldly just preach out in the open, and he would have the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. And they would go same thing they said to Jesus: Where did this guy get all this wisdom and knowledge about Jesus when he went to his hometown? And they were blessed; they were amazed. And then they, and then in the crowd, it starts somewhere. Hey, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that the carpenter's son? And then his mother Mary, and that's James and Judas, and and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and his brothers over here, and aren't his sisters here? What? And I say, and they start getting angry with him. You know, you done stepped out of your place. You see, and then they couldn't hear him anymore. You see, they had they had waxed cold because they had convinced themselves of some worldly thing the devil had whispered in their. But this revelation knowledge, you see, it irritates people who have studied this word. I know some people who could quote this Bible better than me, and they're still unbelievers. And uh, and they use this for that purpose. Or they are believers, but they're not spirit-filled, and they don't they don't know the third person of the Trinity, and they don't have and they they get frustrated at people that have this. these They come up with this revelation of the word, and they're like, "How did you?" I've been studying that for 40 years and I never... Because you're not going to get it just through the logos. You need the Spirit of God to help you, to come alongside you. And he said, Jesus said, it's good that I go away because I'm my Father going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And He's going to He's going to help you. He's going to lead you and guide you and teach you all things, remind you of everything that I have said. He's the innkeeper, by the way. Where the Samaritan bleeding on the side of the road, Jesus was the good Samaritan who came along and helped us. 
and brought us to the inn. And he gave us to the innkeeper. And he gave him enough money to take care of us for three days. <clears throat> Two days, sorry. Two denarii, he said. And here's, that's really a day's wage. And he said, if there be any more owed when I get back, I'll give it to you then. But the Bible says that a day is as, a thousand years is as a day. And it's been almost 2,000 years. We need to approach God in the name of Jesus. And I'll get into that later. But remember those three things just for starting out. That we are kings and priests and we have to learn how to talk to God. First thing is we need to learn how to see God. Learn that He loves us. He's a good, good Father. He's perfect in all of His ways toward us. It said that there's around 8,000 promises in the Bible. And the Bible says that every promise in Christ for us are yes and amen. So it's important that we approach God in the name of Jesus. Because without Him, none of it's possible. We don't want to approach God on our own merits. This helps me too. Because when I do run boldly to the throne of grace, and sometimes it's when I'm really, uh, I've not been doing well. Maybe I've not treated my wife correctly. I, maybe I was ugly to her or, or made her feel bad or, you know, or I just, I'm just off a little somehow and I need to go get fixed by the, the maker. <laughs> you know, those aren't the times you feel the most confident Sometimes you just feel pretty good about yourself anyway, even though I'm saying all this, but it's not us, it's not it's not our behavior. It's not our good deeds. God doesn't love us because we're lovely. He loves us because Jesus is lovely. And we need to approach God on the Jesus merits, not our own. We are in Christ, you see. When God sees you, he doesn't see Adam anymore, fallen man. He sees Jesus. And when you approach God, you need to approach Him on based on everything Jesus has accomplished on your behalf. Because it's all credited to your account. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank You for this wonderful day, this Father's Day. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for showing us that You are still on the throne. And that there is no reason to worry. You are a good, good Father. You love us. You have great plans for us. You have made all provision for all the time that we will be here. We're not going to run out of stuff. We're not going to run out of peace, love, and joy either. So we need to be beacons of that light to shine brightly on a hurting world. Help us, Lord, to learn how to, to wait to hear you when we respond. And that our response when we do is faith-filled, joy-filled, filled of life and healing and blessing and peace and joy. Thank you for teaching us how to pray and talk to you, Lord, knowing that you're good and that you want only good things for us and that it's not our own merits that we're approaching you by. It's those that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. So we come in the name of Jesus and we come in faith, not doubting or unbelief. We come in faith knowing we can be confident 
in everything that you have for us and that it's going to be great. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.